Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea, the podcast that rummages around the hoarder's basement of the global political system and pulls out the insightful gems hidden way at the back. Each episode, we'll be working alphabetically through different countries' politics so you can show off to your friends and maybe gain a slightly better understanding of just how those countries work. Next up, in the Caribbean Sea, with a population of 98,000 and functioning as a parliamentary democracy and constitutional monarchy, is Antigua and Barbuda. On the 24th of August 2004, Baldwin Spencer became only the third Prime Minister in the history of the small Caribbean nation of Antigua and Barbuda. He was also the first not to be a member of the Labour Party, and the first to not have the surname Byrd. The country had been ruled previously by Veer Byrd from 1960 to 1994, and then by his son Lester Byrd from 1994 to 2004. But how did these two islands, which still have Queen Elizabeth as their head of state, come to be? And where are they now? In order to dive a little bit deeper into this, and the broader setup of Antigua and Barbuda, I'm joined on the show by Padgett Henry of Brown University and Professor of Sociology and Africana Studies. Padgett, welcome to the show. Sure. So I was hoping we could start with a bit of an overview of the history of Antigua and Barbuda. Okay, well we're going to start with the history of Antigua, because Antigua and Barbuda were not always one. Right, of course. As they're different islands, they weren't always one country. So Antigua was colonized by the British. Yeah, colonialism has been a bit of a theme in a few of our shows so far, and I'm sure it'll continue to crop up given its huge impact. The British had already colonized uh, Barbados, so they were in the Eastern Caribbean. Uh, The Spanish were the first, of course, to arrive. And they abandoned these islands because uh, the Spanish were basically looking for gold. And not finding any in the small islands, they just abandoned them uh, and moved on. So the French and the British moved into uh, the Eastern Caribbean. And so this is the period of mercantile capitalism. The European um, uh, building their empires. And so do they encounter any indigenous people? Of course, the uh, native people, I'll call them the Caribs. And so as the British and the French are entering uh, the Eastern Caribbean, conflict, war, resistance uh, develop very quickly. When did it first really collide? The first major breakout of war, uh, 1626. Uh, on the island of St. Kitts. Uh, in 1640, big conflict between the Caribs and uh, Antigua, the government uh, of Antigua. And then uh, the Caribs also blocked the first attempts of Europeans to colonize Barbuda. That, so you're getting the picture that even though the Caribs didn't live on all of the islands, they saw them all as their territory. Of course, because it's their backyard, basically. But this stalemate doesn't last, right? 1674, they uh, organized a campaign to, quote-unquote, destroy the Caribs on the island of Dominica, which was their main 
settlement. Wow, that's horrendous. But it didn't. It stopped. It still didn't stop the attacks. So, sixteen eighty three, they had another campaign. Uh, again, to this time, they got permission from the king. And so this one was really devastating for the Cari population. When the Europeans arrived, there were around 6,000 uh, Caribs. And uh, in 1730, the population was down to 400. Wow. Just 400? Now, of course, uh, the, the British and French were also rivals, even though they were cooperating. Uh, against the the Caribs, so in 1666 the French captured Antigua, you know, and then of course later on British took it back. So it's this British influence which has resulted in the national language being English to this day, and the Queen still being the head of state. But what happens once the British actually establish control there? Once things stabilized to the point where the British could actually carry out the colonial project. What we got was the starting of a tobacco plantation economy. Of course. But tobacco doesn't work out too well, right? Around the early 1670s, we got this transition from tobacco uh, to sugar. And this is when Antigua really took off as a sugar colony. And of course, with the turn to sugar was the turn to African slavery. Of course. I'm not sure people are aware how big an impact slavery actually had in the Caribbean, as tens of thousands of slaves were shipped in every year by the British and the French. This is why most of the population to this day is of African descent. But even all these slaves can't maintain the economics of sugar production, especially against the newly independent United States, right? So from about 1800, uh, the colony is in serious economic crisis. And this crisis period continues, really, right up until the 1930s. And was this the same in Barbuda? Now, Barbuda is one of these peculiar cases that we had in the Caribbean. Barbados was settled by a very famous family the Codringtons. Uh, you know, there's Codrington College on Barbados, that family. But they also settled in Antigua and had huge estates in Antigua. Obviously a very influential family because they were able to negotiate uh, a lease from the king that gave them complete control of the island of Barbuda. Wow. That's an incredibly influential family. Of course. But how does Barbuda come into this? So they used Barbuda to supply their plantations on Antigua. And uh, so the technical name for Barbuda was a private governancy. A private governancy? I've not heard that term before. And you can see the difference. What do you mean? Can you explain how Barbuda differed? Now, in 1860, um, slavery had uh, ended in 1834. There was a lot of debate, a lot of questions, and especially with the decline of sugar as to what was going to be the future 
of Bob Huda. And so it was in that period that the British government decided that Bob Huda should become part of Antigua. So once again, the Brits stuck their noses in, basically. Definitely. And is that still felt today? So the gap between Barbuda and Antigua to this day is a stark one. So now these two countries are combined, but they're still in a difficult position financially, right? So the crisis continued. And of course, with the onset of the Great Depression in the 1920s and 30s, uh, it just made matters worse. So we had a series of uprisings. Out of these uprisings, you had the birth of the modern labor movement. And uh, this labor movement is really going to transform the Caribbean. It will modernize it and bring us the Caribbean that we know today. Wow. I never realized the profound impact that the labor movement had in this part of the world. I suppose it's not too much of a surprise with the end of slavery in 1834 and these people are allowed to be more and more engaged in politics. You then get a strong labor movement. And that's reflected in the fact that the biggest political party to this day is still called the Antigua and Barbuda Labor Party. Absolutely. And it's this labor movement that produces VC Bird, the country's first prime minister, right? Out of that group, VC Bird emerged and would dominate uh, Antiguan politics for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> That's a bit of an understatement. He was leader of the country longer than I've been alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the young VC was an extremely charismatic, dedicated, hardworking young man. No question about that. He just had the support of the masses. You know, he was one of these figures that people rallied around, trusted, and he could speak. And uh, with the formation of political parties, he became the leader of the Antigua Labour Party. And this coincides with a shift in industries for the region as well, right? This is also the time in which we begin to get the birth of the tourist industry. That's really uh, how we got out of sugar. It was the international demand for the beachfronts and the ocean and all of that stuff that really, really uh, spelt the, the death of sugar. But then how is all this linked to the country finally gaining independence in 1981? Oh, no, it's all, all connected. But the, the independence movement, you know, really grew out of the labor movement with the removal of property restrictions on voting uh, and the removal of property restrictions on who could run for office. But it wasn't straight to independence, was it? There were some stops along the way, as it were. You know, the islands were federated from 1956 uh, to 1962. Ah, because it was a federation with some of the other Caribbean countries for a bit, like the United States, but called the West Indies Federation. 1962, uh, Jamaica gained its independence, Trinidad, Barbados. See, all of the big islands uh, were breaking out on their own 
and um, and so the small islands followed subsequently. That must have been a huge turning point then, where the country could finally control its own destiny. Of course. Oh, absolutely. 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 It, it, it was the transformative moment. But then once they have independence, they kind of lose that uniting factor, right? And it becomes more about infighting. You know, they never really uh, was able to develop rules of political competition that, you know, would not sort of really destroy the other. And uh, so the competition is very destructive. As a matter of fact, the PLM imploded under the pressure. The PLM was another Labour Party that came about and faded again at this time, right? So it became a lot more intense then, especially with VC Bird, right? It was no longer charisma that kept him there, right? But craftiness where he was more concerned about conserving his power. Of course. And then I guess that's how we get such a long period of his rule. And then his son's rule. Of course. This is then part of the problem in the country developing its economy further, right? It does have a dabble with finance, but that doesn't go too well either. There's a bit of a crash, right? First big one was in Jamaica. Mm. And then... um, and then later on, we had the collapse uh, of the financial sector uh, in Antigua. Uh, and of course, that bringing it down was in fact the, the collapse uh, of this bank uh, run by uh, Alan Stanford. And that pretty much brings us up to date, right? Where we no longer have a bird in the role of prime minister but the Labour Party are still hugely influential and currently in power. And despite the British influence, the proximity to the US has actually led to a two-chamber legislature of a House of Representatives and a Senate. Well, as you may know, we like to try and finish every episode by asking our guests what a unique holiday or festival or event from each particular country is. Could you provide us with the one for Antigua and Barbuda? Well, uh, we do carnival. Uh, We have this carnival in August. It's a wonderful ceremony. It produces a lot of calypsos. It, it, it feeds a lot of artistic expression. Uh, steel bands, you know, all that, all that stuff. So I would say um, today, the big festival, definitely carnival. That sounds awesome. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Padgett Henry. Join us next time, where we'll be exploring our first South American country, Argentina. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything you'd like to know about Antigua and Barbuda or any other country. See you next time. And remember to keep asking how my country works.